again, I mean, I look at this right now and I don't see how, if you had to pick who the favorite is for the division, how if not the Chargers. Uh, again, they finished the season strong. Phillip Rivers is playing extremely well. Um, and and you've had a lot of stability, which is not what any of the other teams have had. So to me, it's the Chargers. Hey everybody, Chris Harey with you on Chargers Weekly. We got a good one for you this week. NFL Media's Judy Batista joins me to discuss a wild NFL offseason. We touch on a variety of topics from the Chargers and the new look AFC West to the intrigue surrounding this quarterback draft class. Plus, fascinating insight from Judy into how the NFL schedule is created each season. It was a great conversation with one of the best reporters in our business. Hope you enjoy it. All right, Judy Batista joins me on Chargers Weekly. And Judy, it's been a whirlwind of an offseason since the Super Bowl, from player movement to new coaches to new rules, uh, a million things to choose from. But uh, what's been one or two of the biggest storylines in your eyes? Well, I thought um, out of free agency, obviously, the movement of the quarterbacks was was the big story, not just Kirk Cousins, but, you know, Case Keenum and, and actually, you know, starting out even before free agency at Super Bowl week when yeah. the Chiefs traded Alex Smith, right, out of a, a bombshell. Like, let's not make a practice of that having bombshell trades, you know, a few days before the Super Bowl. <laughs> um, but, you know, the movement of all those quarterbacks and how it potentially, you know, reshapes those teams. And then more recently, last week coming out of the league meeting was this rule that they're sort of you know, made up on the fly and they still have some work to do on it about, you know, lowering the helmet. I mean, that is going to be a significant rule change and it's going to be really interesting to see how they enforce it and officiate it and how it maybe changes the game. Judy, I talked to Jared Bell about that rule last week, right when it was announced. And we were both talking about there's got to be more to it over the course of this off season. How do you think that process is going to play out when we know in September actually what this rule is truly going to mean, because I think Jared told me it was probably the shortest rule in the rule book at this point. Yeah. I mean, all you need to know about it is even the people involved don't know what it's going to be at the end, right? Even the people who are writing the rule, it still has to be written. Um, and, and when you talk to, I talked to John Mara, the owner of the Giants, who's a member of the competition committee about the rule. And he said, listen, I think we're going to have some growing pains, like the question of how it's going to be officiated. All of that still has to be written. And they talked openly about they're going to have to sort of go on tour with teams and sort of educate them, educate the coaches, educate the players. This came, I don't want to say it came out of nowhere because obviously they've had conversations about it leading up to that meeting, but it wasn't on the agenda. It wasn't like the catch rule that everything has been talked about and gone over and everybody had watched hours and hours of tape this is something that sort of came out of conversation. And then the impression I got was while they had the momentum, they sort of passed the shell of the rule, this sort of general idea of lowering the head by any player anywhere on the field is going to be forbidden now. But now they've got to write the details of it and you've got to write the officiating part of it. And, you know, I thought one interesting aspect is it was the coaches who are pushing for, replay to be involved in this. And the reason they want that is it's pretty obvious. They want to make sure that if you're going to eject a player, which is right, a thing that coaches hate, 
players getting thrown off the field in the middle of the game. Of course. If you're going to eject the player, you, you want to make sure you're making the right call. You want to make sure you got the right guy. So uh, there's all of these details still have to be put on a paper. They've got a lot of work to do because the hope is to have it all written uh, and done in time for the meeting at the end of May, the owner's meeting at the end of May, so they can go over it and, you know, pass the final version. But then, like I said, they got to hit the road and educate everybody, you know, before they get to training camp. Well, Judy, too, this happens on offense all the time. So just imagine like a, a first and goal to one and you have a running back lower right. his helmet or, or a quarterback lower his helmet. Are we going to get that specific with the rule? I, I think that's what everybody's anticipating, just how detailed this rule is going to be, because I think there's many instances on the football field where you could call this all the time, uh, but recognizing that obviously safety first, and I think that that's, that's the good thing about this rule. You, you want safety in the, in the game, but to what extent... Is it going to affect the game, especially like in short yardage situations? Yeah, well, the, the current sort of rules, the way they are currently written is, right, if you're in the box, if you're in the tackle box, there's, you know, you can't have a helmet-to-helmet penalty. Yeah, That's going to change. I mean, the intent of this, the way it's been explained to us so far, is any player anywhere on the field at any time, if you lower your head to lead with the helmet, to hit with the helmet, that is a penalty. And it's a potential ejection. Again, I agree with you. I'm curious to see how this is officiated and how tightly they call it, because you feel like that could be called, you know, we always say about holding, you could call holding on every play. It certainly feels like you could call this on every play. But they're serious about this because the steps that they were talking about when we were at the owner's meeting are really troubling. Not only was there the, the rising concussions, overall concussions this year, but when they looked at tape, there was a rise in the number of helmet-to-helmet hits all over the field, and there was a rise in the percentage of concussions caused by helmet-to-helmet hits. That's really alarming for them, right? For a few years there, they had gotten the concussion numbers to tick down a little bit. Then it went up, and the number of helmet-to-helmet hits uh, went up, and uh, they're really concerned about that, and I think they feel that that's a trend that they've got to stop in its tracks right away. They They can't afford to let that go, and I think that's why we saw this rule come together so quickly. Um, you know, they're not going to, you know, with a lot of rules, the NFL will sort of experiment for the year and see how it plays out. We saw that sort of, you know, the kickoff rule, right? They make it a temporary rule and yes. see how it plays out. I think they feel this rule, because it's about player safety, because you saw the terrible Ryan Shazier injury this year, I think they felt, let's go through right now. We'll figure it out as we go along, but this needs to stop. They can't you know, they can't have an increase in concussions. No, absolutely. And I, like I said at the top, it's it's for the good of the game. It's for the safety of the game. It's just a matter of really shaking out all the all the specifics as we enter the 2018 season. Um, and this all one, happened. One thing that I, I, I would make one point about this, one more point about this. All the coaches we talked to at the league meeting, so the NFL coaches made the point, they don't teach this kind of tackling anymore. This is tackling that's being taught at a much younger level, because let's face it, there's not a whole lot of tackling education going on by the time these guys get to the NFL. There's no time for that. You know, practices are about game planning and scheme. They're not, you know, actually teaching guys wrapping up and going to the ground. Sure. So this is also the NFL trying to cause a culture change that will filter down to colleges, high schools. They said even Pop Warner, they want guys to learn how to tackle with their head up from the time they're you know ten years old, the first time they do tackle football. Yeah, start that standard at the top, at the at the highest level. Right, Judy, you were right in the center of the NFL Network's coverage of the owners' meetings, and 
it's such a unique week on the NFL calendar in that all the owners, GMs, and coaches are in the same place, and it's not scattered like the combine. I'm probably a little bit more relaxed. Um, right. What did you get from your conversations there that you normally wouldn't get during the season? I noticed that you interviewed a number of coaches, and I'm sure GMs and, and other owners. Well, what you said is true. Like that's, I think, the most relaxed everybody is at any time in the year because you're far enough away from the previous season, whether it was good or bad. Sure. Um, and you're, and you're still far enough removed from the coming season that everybody is not, um, you know, a ball of nerves. I mean, you know how it is. Once the season starts, everybody gets tense, and there's a lot on the line. Um, so this is, I think, the most relaxed you see everybody in the NFL. Uh, all year. And, you know, as you would expect, there was a lot of talk about the draft, you know, with, with all teams, um, a lot of conversation about the quarterback class, just like the rest of us are having a lot of conversations about the quarterback class. Um, but, you know, I, I think you also get, I always find that these meetings, you get lots more um, sort of big picture thoughts, because again, everybody has sort of had a time to take a deep breath, you know, maybe do some self-analysis about what happened in the previous season. And you get sort of a bigger picture view of, you know, what might have happened in the previous season. It was probably a little bit quieter around the Chargers in in Anthony Lynn. Not a lot of big splashes in free agency. He had some positive momentum in how they ended the season. And I'm sure you've probably gotten to know Coach Lynn during his years in New York when he was under Rex Ryan. How would you assess his first season as a head coach, knowing how it started at 0-4 and for them to turn it around and win 9 of 12? Well, right when it started that first month, you were like, oh, dear, like, what the heck is going on? Um, Right. (laughs) People were probably saying even harsher things than that. And then it turned around, uh, you know, so dramatically. And the way it finished, I mean, they they go into the offseason and into the coming season, which I would think a great deal of positive momentum and they have to be feeling really good. And when you look at it in big picture, right, again, when you can step back and sort of look at the season as a whole, the fact that a first time head coach you know, might struggle in the first few weeks is, is probably shouldn't be a surprise to anybody, right? Like sure. when you talk to people who are first time head coaches, I remember when Herm Edwards became the Jets head coach, him saying, even though he had sort of, you know, been Tony Dungy's right hand guy in Tampa and Tony had tried to prep him for being a head coach, nothing really prepares you for being a head coach. Like every decision has to go through you. I remember Herm saying like, they would literally come to him with like the menu for the team charter, you know, and yeah. like, seriously, like what, you know, I, I, you know, I don't know. Um, so it's a totally different thing. It's not just, you know, the practices and it's not just going over the game plan and it's not, it's everything, right. Clock management. I mean, we all sort of harp on play, coaches clock management. So when you look back, it's probably not surprising that Anthony Lynn was sort of scrambling in the first month and then they got, they got their bearings and, uh, again, I, I mean, I feel really good about where the Chargers are and where they're going for next year. Right, Philip Rivers had a, another great season. It's like a broken record, but he's playing at a ridiculously high level. He, he did, um, yes. And uh, you know, and I think they they have a great deal of positive momentum, especially because the rest of the division has had so much change that I mean, I look at it as the Chargers should be the favorite to win win the division right now. Well, you, you go to the change, it's markedly different than what we saw in week 17. And, right. and, you know, different right. doesn't necessarily make it easier for the Chargers. But you talk about the continuity on the coaching staff, the core of this team is in place. And, of course, you have the most experienced quarterback in the division. With all that change around, and it's funny, 
to, to your point about Coach Lynn, I think he even said at the combine, Judy, he's like, I think everybody in the building got the memo that I was the head coach except for me because he was he was just trying to figure out how to be a head coach. And it's tough. Uh, it, it's tough. And those losses at the beginning, they weren't blowout losses. They were heartbreaking losses. So I think right. just his calming force at the beginning of the season, the team took note of that. And then going into 2018, this is the team with the continuity. You have a new quarterback in Kansas City. I saw you were in Washington um, when Alex Smith was announced as a new quarterback of the okay. Redskins. John Gruden's in Oakland. Um, there's a new quarterback, several new coaches under Vance Joseph. How would you assess mm-hmm. this AFC West in 2018? Wow. Uh, uh, look, I, I don't know what we're going to get. Um, like I said, I mean, at the Chargers are by far the most stable right now. Um and Judy, I mean, this happened in two months. Team. This has been over the last two months. Uh, right. <laughs> well, it's like you practically are going to need, like, you know, when you go to a convention, it's like, hi, my name is Judy. I mean, that's practically what you <laughs> exactly. need to do because the division has changed so dramatically. Um, I mean, you can go team by team. Like, look, the Oakland Raiders have a lot of young talent, right? Derek Carr is clearly one of the top young quarterbacks. Malay, he didn't have a great year last year. Certainly not as good as the previous season. Um but look, the, the hiring of John Gruden is a total wild card, right? We have, he's been, he has not been a coach in a decade. You have no idea how that's going to go. Now, I think most of us think he will have a positive impact on the offense, right? That's his thing. Mm-hmm. But who knows, right? I mean, this is, this is a real wild card team now. You, you don't know. They've reshaped a lot of the roster um, the way Gruden wants it. it I, I don't know what we're going to get from them. I suspect that the offense will look good. But who knows? And overall, how will he do as a head coach again? I, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's knows? been a while. It's been a while. It's been a while. It's been a while, and the game has changed markedly. Like, let's not kid around about that. The game has changed quite a bit in a decade. Now, look, he's been close to the game because, obviously, as a as a television personality, he was up close. He was talking to coaches and players all that time. He watches. He's always watched a ton of film, so it's not like he's coming in out of the cold. But it's different, right? It's going to be different for him. Even if you're close to the game, you're still not in the game. I remember when I was in Washington, it was when Joe Gibbs returned for the second time in 2004. Right. I mean, this is a Hall of Fame head coach, who, a Hall of Fame coach. <laughs> who won three Super Bowls, right? He Even he had a, a huge learning curve. I think they went 5-11 and 11 his first year back. They eventually got to the playoffs his second year. But there is a ton to learn and relearn. And then new things that are introduced that you didn't have to deal with. And you, I mean, you talked about it at well, the top, everything goes into being a head coach. Well, somebody made a point to me um, when Gruden was hired, they said, it's going to be interesting to see how he contends with, for instance, the new practice rules. The last time yeah. he was a head coach was before the current CBA was put in. The current CBA really cut back on practice time, right? It cut back on how much time you can spend with players in the off season. It cut back on how many you know, padded practices you can have once the regular season starts. It changed practice rules completely. And you've already heard Gruden, who has been, you know, sort of hilarious. He's already complaining about the practice <laughs> rules. Yeah. So that is not an insignificant thing that once he gets into training camp and once he gets into the regular season, like his practices are going to have to be completely different than the way they used to be. Now, Gruden is a smart guy, right? He will adjust. Of course. But I do think it might take a little time to adjust until he gets comfortable with the way things have to be now. Um, look, Kansas City 
I have a lot of confidence in Andy Reid. Uh, and so when he says Pat Mahomes is ready to go, you know, you got to put your faith in Andy Reid, understanding quarterbacks. But I mean, okay. I mean, Mahomes looked good in that one game last year. He looked really promising, but now he's starting quarterback. It's so, a little bit different. I don't know how that's going to go. And they also seem to be on the defensive side, you know, they're, they're tinkering an awful lot. So I don't want to say they're rebuilding because that's probably too strong a word, but they're in transition. Um, you know, and Mahomes again is the is the wild card. I mean, he could be as great as they think he's going to be, you know, or he could struggle now that the whole thing is on his shoulders. You know, Denver. Um, you know, Denver still has the the good defense, but it's getting on in years. It's you know they have it's all been on them. Case the addition of Case Keenum is the big factor there. Is he the Case Keenum? You know, that was great for the Vikings. Or is he the case kingdom from before then? I don't know. And then the other question is, do they draft a quarterback? You know, and, and, and what does that do? Like if, if they draft a quarterback, like is, is case kingdom just a placeholder for a few games? And do you eventually put a rookie quarterback in there? So, you know, there's, there's a lot of uncertainty there too. Again, I mean, I look at this right now and I don't see how, if you had to pick who the favorite is for the division, how if not the chargers, uh, again, they finished, the season's strong. Philip Rivers is playing extremely well. Um, and and you've had a lot of stability, which is not what any of the other teams have had. So to me, it's the Chargers. Judy, this is a great segue into the quarterbacks. You talked about them at the top, and we talked about Pat Mahomes, his second year. The talent in this quarterback class has several teams looking for their franchise quarterback in a few short weeks especially in the AFC. You talk about the Browns and Jets at the top. The Broncos, I think, are at five. Who knows what the Bills may do with those two first-round draft mm-hmm. picks. How highly thought of is this group of quarterbacks in league circles in comparison to past years? Well, it depends on what past years we're talking about. Like, are any of them as well thought of as Andrew Luck is? No. You know, right? Sure, but sure. Andrew Luck is like a once-in-a-generation quarterback. Um, are they as well thought of as like the Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota class, maybe, you know, where each guy sort of had some questions, but they were generally thought of as good prospects, um, you know, who you could throw in there. What I'm fascinated about by this group is if there's a confluence of a lot of highly rated quarterbacks, each of them have questions though, right? Nobody is, again, nobody's an Andrew Luck who's considered the complete package. Everybody's got a ding on their record. Yeah, definitely. Everybody's got something that you got to worry about. And it's happening at a time where so many teams that are picking at the top need quarterbacks. Now you would think that that would always be the case, but that's not always the case. First of all, the giants are not usually picking this high for one thing. It just so happens that they have a decision to make about whether it's time to get their next quarterback. Right now, the Browns, I mean, you know, the Browns have picked high for a lot of years now. They need a quarterback, obviously, as they have many years. The Jets, again, picking how they need a quarterback. You're right. What does Buffalo do? What does Denver do, right? Is, is, is Denver, now that they've got Keenum, are they still in the mix for a quarterback? Does Buffalo try to come up um, maybe and get ahead of, the, you know, ahead of the Jets? There's so many teams there with big decisions to make about whether they're going quarterback. Um, and, again, each of these guys has something on the resume that you've got to go, eh, how do I feel about that? You know, is that good or bad? Um, 
you know, I, I, I am fascinated by last week. I think everybody was convinced that it was Sam Donald to the Browns at number one. And then all of a sudden, like yesterday, that was it was Josh Allen. It could be Josh Allen. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what the heck happened? Right? Oh, my gosh. I mean, nothing. Nothing else has happened in the three days since we left Orlando. What happened? No, so, Judy, I was at the you know, USC Pro that's, Day. That's where we are. I was at the USC right. Pro Day. Darnold's throwing in the rain. Jimmy Haslam sitting with Darnold's parents right. in the stands. And you thought, okay, this is a lock. Darnold's won. And then you, right. you hear about Mayfield taking a two-day visit to Cleveland. So there's so much misinformation, I think, from now. Right. And, and to your point, I think everybody – has a ding on their resume with Darnold's turnovers, mm-hmm. with Rosen. It's really, you know, you, you talk about attitude, but it's really durability. Um, and then with with Allen, right. it's it's accuracy. With Mayfield, it's it's height, you know, and and maybe some right. off the field stuff. So there's there's going to be a ding on all of them. But I just get the sense that some of these teams that don't have a quarterback, they're going all in right now with the hopes that these guys are firmly in place in the next couple of years when you have guys like Brady. Breeze, Roethlisberger, I mean, even Rivers, I mean, he's not slowing down, but he's not getting any younger. So I guess my question to you is, do you think some of these these quarterbacks or these teams with veteran quarterbacks, they may be looking up, they may be looking to trade up a little bit to get that quarterback of the future while you have your franchise guy already in place? Are we talking about the Chargers here? <laughs> well, that, that's the thing. The Chargers, the Chargers are in that conversation. I think Tom Telesco right, isn't right. shy about saying, "Hey, we want Philip to play as long as possible, especially at this Forever. level." But right. at some point, you have to get a young arm in there for the future, for you know, two, three years down the road. No question. Look, I mean, let's look at the Patriots now. I, do I think the Patriots are going to be picking in the top five? No, right. Yeah. But um, the Patriots. I mean, look, Tom Brady is a phenomenon. There's no way he's, he's ridiculous. At some point he's going to decline, right? At some point you would, you would think at some point (laughs) he will be 41 years old when the next season starts at some point in the next few years, he will decline. Um, so when do they start, right? They had Garoppolo and you thought this is going to be the smoothest transition ever, right? This is going to be Joe Montana to Steve Young. Sure. The greatest thing you've ever seen. And then of course they trade Garoppolo. So when do they get another quarterback, you know, and how high do they take one? Um, There's lots of teams, you know, the giants, I, I live in New York. So the giants are so prominent. Eli has not played at his top level in the last few years. Now, to be fair, the offensive line has not been good. They haven't had much of a running game. Last year, every receiver within 50 miles of the Giants got hurt. So there was a lot going against them. But he hasn't looked good either. So that is the big question for the Giants. Is it time to get your next franchise quarterback in here? Is Davis Webb that guy, but they never got to see him on the field? You know, is there a more pressing need for the Giants? Like These are the things that so many of these teams are grappling with because you know, you, when you, even though there's four very highly rated quarterbacks, right, in this class, the odds are all four are not going to be successful, it, right? It never I mean, happens. It Yo, never happens. It never happens. It was an extraordinary year when Eli and Roethlisberger and Philip all hit, right? Yeah. That doesn't happen. So let's say two out of the four are stars. Well, that means the other two teams that take these guys are going to be looking for a quarterback again in a few years, right? It's, it's tough. It's, it's really tough. And um, I, I am, again, I am fascinated to see on draft night what happens because 
I think there will be trades. I think you'll see teams try to move maybe before the draft, you know, maybe Buffalo tries to get up before the draft, but there's so many question marks. Do the giants think it's time to get Eli's replacement in there? What do they think about Davis Webb? We don't know the answers to any of that. No. You know, do they love, can somebody love Saquon Barkley so much that they take him instead of a quarterback? Right. That, there's so much question. intrigue, and you know what, Judy? We didn't even talk about. Guess what? There's going to be a. It's going to be a third round quarterback that we're not talking about right now. Sure. That's going to be better than right. two or three of these guys that get selected in the first round. You know, it could be this Kyle Laletta from Richmond. It could be Mason Rudolph right. in the second round. It could be somebody else that we're not talking about right now. Well, none of us were talking about Jimmy Garoppolo a few years exactly. ago. Exactly. Right? Nobody was drafted. talking about Jimmy Garoppolo. None of us really. I mean. Right. You didn't know him. And now, uh, you know, he's maybe the next great one. Yeah, a gentleman by the name of Kirk Cousins just got $86 million guaranteed right. <laughs> coming from the fourth round. And he was the safety net draft draft pick by the Redskins. <laughs> Robert Griffin. Trade, right? Oh, my gosh. We're like, why are they taking another quarterback? Okay, well, whatever. That's why I love so. this. I love this time of year. But, Judy, last thing. I, you've been more than gracious with your time. The NFL schedule release typically happens over the next few weeks. Chargers have a trip to London this October. It's such a fascinating process, and I know you've done pieces on this before. Uh, can you give fans just kind of a brief overview, just how detailed this process is? Because it's it's pretty insane. Oh, it's insane. Um, first of all, they, well, I think it's been made slightly easier, but now they have a computer program um, that spits out thousands, hundreds of thousands of scheduling options, and they can feed into that program specific things like, um, you know, when the Chargers have the game in London, would the Chargers prefer to play on the East Coast the Sunday before so that they're already on the East Coast and then they can fly to London? All of those little kinds of things can get fed in there. And you would not believe some of the requests that teams make. Um, sometimes the owners are not on the same page with the coaches. And so there's different <laughs> requests, but there's crazy requests. Like, um, you know, for instance, in, in Miami, it's obviously very hot in September and October for a one o'clock game. Sometimes in the past, the Dolphins have asked, please don't schedule us for a lot of one o'clock games in September and October because it's hard to sell tickets because it's so hot. Except, of course, the coaches love playing one o'clock games in September and October in Miami because they feel they have a conditioning advantage because they've been practicing in the heat <laughs> exactly. all summer. Right? There's all kinds of crazy requests like that. Again, things like, you know, if you have a game in London, do you want to be on the East Coast? We don't want to play a whole lot of, you know, if you're the Seattle Seahawks, for instance, you ask, please don't schedule us for a lot of one o'clock East Coast starts because that's 10 o'clock body clock time in Seattle. So they have to feed all of those requests. And a lot of times the teams don't get what they want. You know, teams will often say like, we don't want to play on Thanksgiving. Um, you know, we don't want a Thursday night game after a road game. Sometimes those requests can't be met. A lot of times they can be. There's a lot of lobbying. Um, and Howard Katz, who is the overseer of the schedule and his team, will tell you that after the schedule is released, first of all, they have to go through the entire schedule with Roger Goodell before it's released. So they go through week by week by week. Um, that after it is released, they will get phone calls from owners screaming at them, you know, saying, how would you do this to me? <laughs> Everybody's you know. disappointed, right? <laughs> Everybody's mad. Think like, here's, here's an example. The two New York teams don't like to play at home um, during the Jewish holidays, right? There's a large Jewish community here, season sure. ticket holders, so they can't go to those games 
So the two New York teams often will say, please put us on the road on the weekends of the Jewish holidays. Sometimes that can't be met. Howard Katz tells this funny story that like when he once scheduled, I think, the Giants, uh, you know, on one of the Jewish holidays, and his rabbi said, like, what are you doing? Like, you know, like, <laughs> how did you screw this up? So they hear it from a lot of people. Sometimes it's pretty angry, but it is a, it's an unbelievable process, and it goes on for weeks and weeks and weeks. And again, thousands and thousands of schedules, and um, they have to go through each of them to, to try to minimize bad schedules. That's what they're trying to do. I don't think there's any perfect schedule, but they're trying to minimize the number of bad schedules. Everybody's going to have one or two or maybe three or four things on the schedule that I could be happy with. But for the most part, you know, they do their best, and that's why they have thousands and thousands of different permutations. Right. Right, exactly. It's crazy. And things like, you know, they will get phone calls from, like, there's always a team that has like a three-game road trip. That always happens. They try to minimize them, uh, you know, but needless to say, teams don't like that when they have three straight games on the road. So, uh, what's, uh, what always fascinates me is the lobbying that goes on, the crazy requests that they get, and then the aftermath. Well, we're going to find out and it, it, probably in a few weeks. I don't know when it's going to come out, but it, it should come out in April. Judy, are you going to be down at the, at the draft in Dallas? No, I will probably be with a team uh, instead. Um, probably one of the teams here in New York since they're both picking so high. I'll, uh, I'll be here. So that's a home game for me. Yeah, there you that's go. Good. We never get you out to L.A. much, huh? <laughs> I wish I need to get out there. Frankly, the fact that the both teams are now so competitive um, is a good thing, you know, and, and the fact that the teams up in Northern California are so competitive and interesting now, too. That's a good thing for my travel schedule because I would like more trips to California. Good. Well, hopefully we'll see you out here. And Judy, you've been more than gracious with your time. Can't thank you enough. And uh, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll talk to you down the line here this offseason. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And that'll do it. My thanks to Judy for joining me, and thanks to you all for listening. Be sure to subscribe to Chargers Weekly on Apple Podcasts, and if you could, please leave a review. Help spread the word. Actually had a couple reviews come in this past week. Really appreciate it. Enjoy the weekend, and until next time, I'm Chris Harey.